Welcome to episode 21 of Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Charles McCool from McCool Travel. Charles has been in the travel hacking game for more than two decades and is an expert at making travel fun. We'll talk to him about his travel background, how his travel fits into his life today, and of course, his favorite places to grab a local beer. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything we have coming down the line. We're trying out a new format for the show starting with this episode. Instead of doing one long episode per interview, we'll be splitting each of our interviews into two episodes and adding a 10 to 15 minute travel rewards update at the end of every episode going forward. We're hoping that will keep you all up to date a little bit better while still giving you the fantastic interviews we have with travelers, brewers, and everyone else. You'll have to let us know how you like it. And now, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Charles. Hello, everyone. We're here recording yet another episode of Miles and Pints. Derek is here with me. How you doing today, Derek? I'm good. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing fantastic. And Perfect. we just got together yesterday to share a couple of beers. I'm sure that'll come up. But we have a guest today who jumped in. We, we were in kind of a lurch and uh, had a brewery cancel on us, which is why Derek and I just sat around having a couple of beers yesterday. But uh, a, a last-minute savior came in to help us out and get us let us get an episode out this week. So I'd like to introduce and welcome Charles McCool to the podcast. Hi, Derek. Hi, Jeff. We're going to talk beer. That's not a bad thing. I'm glad to fill it. That's right. Yeah, thanks for joining us last minute. Of course. Beer and travel, which I, I think you know a thing or two about. Yeah, I'm more versed on the travel side, but travel for beer is not a bad thing to do. <laughs> Never. No, not at all. And we'll start out, we're recording midday here, so uh, beers were optional, but uh, some of us have decided to maybe have one. I, I think I'll go first with what I'm drinking, which I figured it's a midday episode, so I should have a brunch beer. So I've got a um, blueberry maple pancake. It's an ale brewed with blueberry and local maple syrup from Ellicottville Brewing Company. And I think I have talked about this one before on social media, but it's one of my favorites that I had when I went up to Ellicottville Brewing Company. And I'm excited to have one of those today. And uh, cheers, guys. So, Charles, what are you drinking? Cheers. I'm drinking uh, Cigar City Pumpkin Seasonal. And... um my first tip is to look at the back of the store at Safeway, and this, these were half price. So I thought I'd give it a shot. Oh, that's not bad. And they're probably, I mean, obviously it's not pumpkin season now, but those beers are good all year long. Yeah, they're, and they're good still, all year. Yeah. We're only a, a few months later, and things should hold up fine in a can for that amount of time. So, yeah, good tip there. Find your, your half price beers. It may not be my first uh, batch that I bought. So, <laughs> so I don't mind. I, see, I don't mind this brew at all. Did I see the name of that beer was Good Gourd? Is that right? It's Good Gourd, yes, sir. I'll have to try that. I'm a big fan of Cigar City. Yeah, it's a good brewery. 
And Derek, I think, is playing the part of the responsible adult today and not having a beer with us since he has actual, probably legal work to do this afternoon. Yeah, I will be abstaining, unfortunately. My first podcast episode where I am abstaining, but yeah, I'm going to be responsible today. But we are a judgment-free zone that is in no way directed as judgment on either of you. Well, I feel very honored to be be here first. (laughs) But we did, I mean, I mentioned we, we had a couple of beers yesterday out in Loudoun County, Virginia, who is, I, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but Loudoun County is actually the first sponsor of the podcast, and we'll have some sponsored episodes from them coming up soon, but we're checking out some of their breweries. And we went yesterday to Lost Rhino, which is well-known in the D.C. area. It's on tap in a lot of places. And then we popped down and checked out the Solace Brewing Company, which they have a Solace Outpost location close to me in Falls Church, and it's one of my favorite local ones here. So I was excited to check out their larger original place out a little bit west in Loudoun County. But a couple of great places. We tried to talk Charles into coming in and having a beer with us, but his son is in town. So we're lucky to have uh, snuck him away for a couple hours today, I think. Indeed. And and for all of our listeners that aren't aware or aren't from the D.C. area, a hot tip is there are tons of great craft breweries within a few miles of Dulles. And by a few craft breweries, I mean six, seven, eight, nine, something like that within a 10 or 15 minute Uber ride. So if you find yourself flying in or out of Dulles or you have a long layover, you can always hop an Uber and get to a bunch of really great craft breweries within a few minutes ride. Yeah, much better place. As we were sitting there drinking yesterday, we said, this is a lot better than sitting in a Priority Pass lounge as you're waiting for a plane. It was a beautiful day outside. We were sitting in a couple of chairs made out of skis, and I mean, it was wonderful. But back on topic for today, we have Charles with us. We're not going to take up his whole time talking about our drinking escapades (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) I don't think he would appreciate that. I don't think you as listeners would appreciate that. So uh, let's jump right in. Charles, let's talk about your background, and we're going to start way back with where you grew up. I basically grew up in South Florida. Um, So we moved from Kansas to Miami when I was in first grade, and then I spent the rest of my childhood in Miami until I graduated from high school. So that's essentially my childhood home. And when you were that age, did you guys travel around a lot or did you spend most of your time just doing some road trips? I assume you went to Disney. Yeah, we, d- we did a few trips to Disney World. We went up that four mile, that four hour drive. Um, but otherwise, we didn't do many vacations growing up. My mom was a single parent and um, we were strapped for cash. So we didn't do a heck of a lot of travel, but um, I'm making up for it now. Yeah, I think you are. Uh, I guess that leads into my next question is, when did you actually start traveling pretty regularly? Was that once you got into college, after college, or was it further down the road? Yeah, probably when I was about 23 to 25. So a few years after college, when I started making some money and deciding what am I going to do with it all. So I was one of those, um, I think you alluded to it one time, um, travel hacking. So I was one of those early adopters of travel hacking and trying to figure out ways to optimize the rules to my benefit. I I just learned the ins and outs of travel um, pretty early when I was around that impressionable age, around 25. So uh, it was uh, my release from my work and to have fun. 
what was it that you were doing for work at that time? I worked in the computer industry. I was an ACE software tester. So I worked out in Silicon Valley and people would give me software and I would just break the hell out of it. So I was hacking for real life and then I was hacking on the side to try and optimize travel to my benefit. So I just, uh, I guess innately have those skills to find boundary conditions, if you will. So I would, I would love to like really travel wise, just figure out, you know, how can I optimize those rules? How could I bend them, but not break them and just really maximize my benefits. But professionally, I was just, you know, spending 50 hours a week on a computer and breaking software. It was a lot of fun. It really is interesting how many different professions lend themselves to those people really getting engrossed in points and miles, right? You have the attorneys that love terms and conditions and break those down. You were a software engineer uh, and you like uh, basically, like you said, hacking in your day job and then hacking on the side. And then you have all kinds of engineers and doctors that just love the, the minute technical things that they can you know, break down and destroy. And um, it's really interesting to me how many different professions really enjoy our hobby. It, it, it's a hobby. Yeah, exactly. And anybody can do it. And you've been doing it for a lot longer than Derek and I, I think, combined. I want to briefly touch, you had written a book, but you, your book came out, I think, eight or nine years before I even found out about the world of miles and points. So that's what I say. You've been doing this for a long time. What, how did, how did that come about? I assume you were still working full time at that point, or had you shifted into the travel space when you wrote that? I was still in the travel space. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I was still in the IT space. I was still testing, but I was doing it more and more on the side. I was teaching friends and coworkers, you know, the ins and outs of travel. I was starting to do travel seminars on my own, and I had a vision of, of doing a whole business of travel consulting. So my book came out, ironically, the, um, the week before 9-11. So I actually had lined up a lot of travel seminars and adult ed classes. And I taught my first class the Saturday before 9-11. So it kind of oh, destroyed, destroyed every momentum that I had. Uh, my book was called Winning the Airfare Game. So it was all ins and outs on how to, how to um, you know, learn how to travel better and save money, time and stress on every flight that you ever want to take in your life. So I thought it was very comprehensive. Um, it didn't go into the nuts and bolts of mile hacking or frankly anything, but it gave everybody a good overview. Um, but let's see, I, I eventually retired, if you will, from software testing um, about when the book came out. But I stayed involved and frankly, I still uh, pro bono. You, we'll, we'll hack software for friends and family and stuff like that. But I don't do it professionally anymore. And you've done some little things over the years. I seem to remember you you popped in and did some project work with Amtrak a few years back. Exactly. Yeah. For, so more more on the travel side, but also the software side. They needed someone who could think in on both of those levels. So you were yeah. kind of a perfect fit for that. Yeah, that was, um, I did a nine month contract with Amtrak in 2015 to 2016. And what I was, I was a technical writer for them. So I basically worked with a group and I would um, create a knowledge base of all the information they had because they really were just implementing Wi Fi on the, the entire train system, but not really documenting what they were doing. So my job was to go in there and talk to all the engineers and marketing people and kind of 
figure out what was going on. But at that point, I was blogging for a couple of years. So kind of transitioning into doing it full time. So that gave me the the resources to go on out there and not have to work for a couple of years when I did the Amtrak contract. And um, now that's all I've been doing for the last six years now, just full time travel. So if you're listening to this on an Amtrak train on the Wi-Fi and it's working well, that's because of Charles. If it's not working well, it's because they didn't hire him for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we, we dipped in a little bit to the, the transition into travel blogging or travel writing. And now I want to get more in depth in that and talk about what it is that you do now, because you're now full-time travel everything, really. There's a whole lot of, of services that you offer, a whole lot of things that you do, and that's all encompassed under the website and the company McCool Travel, which you have should I say a cool last name for, for a business, um, but it is actually your last name. But tell us about McCool Travel and I guess when that got started and why it got started and how you decided that people needed this in their lives. Yeah, so going way back to when I wrote the travel book and even before when you were asking me, when did I learn to do, do travel and that sort of thing. I quickly adopted, as I was saying, travel hacking techniques. So I was learning those ins and outs and then teaching those to other people. So that's still true to what I do today. I learn things and I teach other people. I just want people to be happier travelers. So sometimes I call myself the travel happiness expert or the travel happiness advocate. So I'm still out there trying to have people be empowered to take better vacations. So I no longer preach to people, but I do more of this empowerment type thing, which means, you know, if you want to learn points, I will help you learn points or I will direct you to Jeff or someone else who's a points expert. If you have loads of money and all you want to do is travel in first class, I can help you with that, too. So I think looking back, what happened was I really started learning travel like right when the web was coming out. So that nine, 91 to 93 range and that half of 1% of people could start going into AOL and using an interface to book their own travel. And now, of course, everybody can. So the travel industry has really undergone several upheavals in the last 20 years or 30 years and where you can book your own travel. The information is all there. You're responsible for it now. But that is overwhelming for so many people. And that's what I'm trying to do is to alleviate that fear, the, the, the analysis paralysis of someone not being able to take a good vacation just because they either don't have the confidence or they feel like they can't find the information. So that's kind of my essence. And you make a really interesting point here in that now, as compared to 20, 25 years ago, everyone can book their own travel online fairly easily and quickly if you know what you're doing. Yet, uh, now that you're talking about it, I'm thinking of my experiences in airports, it seems like the vast majority of travelers are completely stressed out. And when you talk to your friends and family about booking travel, they're completely stressed out. It should be an easily, easy, seamless process at your computer, yet... As we're sitting here thinking about it, most of, you know, the average traveler is completely stressed out about the prospect of traveling or booking their own travel. 
No, I think that's exactly it. And then I taught adult ed classes in the DC area for about 12 years. And I saw that you see that look of just bewilderment, people would show up and have no idea. It's like, well, I can book my own travel now. And you know, for some people, I'm like, you can go use a travel agent, it's fine. You know, they're still there. But for the people that are do it yourselfers, I would try and make the process less intimidating and you know make it happier happier is what i kind of just default to nowadays it's just like travel should be fun it shouldn't be an obligation you shouldn't have to go back to work on monday morning and need a vacation from your vacation it, it should have been rejuvenating so i think that's the mindset that i operate under and blogging is just the thing that i do now but i've done classes i've done consulting i wrote a book and you know on and on and I think that's great that you have kind of pushed that happiness to the forefront, because I think we need a lot of that in the world today and in travel. And you see so many people getting angry and you see the videos of people getting in fights at airports. And like when it really comes down to it, it's for such silly reasons in the scheme of things. So the more people that you can make happier and have less stress, I think the better travel will be for everyone when I hear you talk about that and how you're bringing less stress and making things simpler. And I was sitting here thinking is that that's almost the opposite of what Derek and I do. And that <laughs> it's so true. We teach people about the intricacies of these crazy programs from airlines they've never heard of and how to find these tickets and book this and maximize with having four stops and jumping out of the airport to see this on your way and this and that, the other thing. So it's almost like we cater to the people who want to upgrade the, of the complicated yeah. <laughs> parts of their travel. No, and I, you're trying to make it easier for the people that are looking at us like we're crazy people. <laughs> sure. I, and I mean, I don't want to say that I'm trying to attract a mass appeal, but it, it, there's just all kinds of different iterations of what people want to do. And I think you both are well aware of FTU, the Frequent Traveler University. So a couple of years ago, they asked me to speak at it. And I was like, what am I going to, you know, I'm not an expert on points. What am I going to talk about? And I was asked to talk about happy travel. So I had a room of 200 to 300 people. And I know that 98% of them are like, shut up. I want to go to the other seminar. But a couple of people, you know, a couple of people showed up and said, you know what, what you talked about was resonating and it helped. And that that's all I can hope for, you know, that I'm not wasting my time and somebody gets it and somebody can change their habits and think differently. And that's really struck me from the first day that I met you. I think you put off a, a very positive vibe and a very, if not always happy, but very much looking for the good in situations and looking for the way that everyone can enjoy where they are and what they're doing. And that's, we've kept in touch off and on throughout the years. We live very close, get together probably every couple years and yeah. have a meal or a beer. But it's always the the same thing when we talk again and it's this, how do we help more people to travel and enjoy those travels and really upgrade and enjoy life more? Absolutely. And that's, I think that's the overall goal for all three of us and really most people who are in the travel industry. I think you take it to another level with the happiness. I think your your license plate, if I remember correctly, is funness. That's is correct. That right? That's right. Absolutely. 
So you just, I mean, it's just this positive vibe that you put out. And honestly, I don't know who wouldn't want to travel and go have a beer with you somewhere. I appreciate it. Yeah, I I mean, I have to admit that I was one of those stressed people. Um, When I first started traveling, it was like, I missed a connection or, you know, whatever. They didn't have my car that I reserved. But I kind of learned that problems equal opportunities. And I think a lot of your followers probably have adopted that with points. You know, and I think so that kind of transcends life that if you can look at it from that standpoint and an example might be I reserved a car and I show up and they're like, we don't have a car for you. And it's like, well, oh, don't don't talk about that now. I'm terrified that's going to happen to me on Saturday. <laughs> but, I, but I don't put it into the universe, please. But I, I can think of I can think of a dozen times that happened to me. But of those dozen times, they had a car. They just wanted to upsell me on a, a class or something like that. So I'm like, do you mm-hmm. literally have no car, or do you only have premium cars? And it's like, well, I have a reservation, so I end up with a premium car at the lowest rate that I reserve. So same with hotel rooms, flights, what have you. It's just a mindset. So you know, you can be stressed out. You can yell at people, or you can just be zen about it and think be a happy traveler. And that's what I'm I'm working very hard this whole week. I've been thinking <laughs> about it because I know that there are huge problems in the car rental space. I know we've talked about it on the podcast before the problems that we're going to have going into summer with more people renting cars. And I have a spring break trip planned where we're flying into one city and driving to three others and flying home from there. So if I don't get my rental car, I'm stuck in yeah. Louisville for yeah. for a week and yeah. don't have a flight home. So I, I'm just thinking in my head, be calm, be calm, be calm. And if I'm sitting at the airport for a few hours, what are we going to do? And I'm prepping ahead of time to try to relieve that stress that I see possibly happening uh, when we fly out Saturday morning. Good luck. And worst case scenario, they have a Prius or something for you, Jeff, for the, for the four of you and all your luggage in a week-long road trip, right? I mean... What's the worst that could happen? I mean, it's not that bad for me because the driver's seat is always big enough for the driver. <laughs> it's the kids that are going to be in the back that would appreciate a little more room. With the luggage on their lap? Yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll be a lot no, of fun. If there's no space in the back, they they get a little cranky if they can't put their legs down. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I mean, our, our personal cars, I have a, a Sequoia, which fits my whole family and my dogs. And kind of the reason that I bought that is because our other two cars don't. My wife drives a mini convertible and the kids don't fit in the back of that. They're teenagers now. And I have a little Mazda 3 hatchback and they can kind of fit in the back of that if I'm farther forward than I should be. So they're used to a a crunched atmosphere in vehicles (laughs) from home. So hopefully whatever we can pull out on Saturday, we'll be able to drive around in. And Charles, before we move on to go back to your points about you know, trying to always be Zen and making the best out of every situation is kind of, as you explained it, kind of lemons, lemonade out of lemons situation. What's your belief in terms of the knowledge level for travelers in, in making lemonades out of lemon? It seems to me the more knowledge you have and the, and the more you understand your, I hate to say rights, but, um, your options as a traveler, the more you know, the easier it can become, right? Absolutely. And you, you know, you could take it to the other extreme too. You can be a real idiot about it. Um, so I consider myself fairly knowledgeable. So let's just say that I'm showing up for a flight that I know is severely overbooked. You know, you can go in there and say, damn it, I got to be on you know, this plane. 
give me my seat. I bought a seat, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, if they're going to bump you, you can just say my rights are under, you know, law 2220 that you have to give me this money. I would just show up and just say, hey, I know that, you know, you're in a bind. And if I can help you out, let me know. So it's just, you know, we're all attacking the problem, the, the same problem, but maybe in a different way. And then if you go kill them with kindness in your hypothetical, right, maybe not only do you get the money you're entitled to, but maybe they send you in first class or business, you know, on the same domestic flight, for example, an hour or two later, right? I mean, yeah. rather than you ups, you're upset, they become upset because you're accusatory at them and you bear, you have to fight for your money versus a really good experience with a short delay. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally believe in this karma situation. And, you know, we could do examples of this all day long. But uh, one quick example, it was, yeah, I got bumped on a flight from Tokyo to Los Angeles. And it was just, you know, a cattle car thing. It was a bump situation. So it was severely overbooked. They put me on a Singapore Airlines flight where I had an entire section to myself. You know, I got that whole Singapore Airlines experience. And get this, it got in two hours before my other flight got in. And they gave me $1,000. So, you know, I don't want to say that was karma or me knowing what to do, but it was kind of a combination of all those things. Um, luck. I had one of those a few years ago where I was, I mean, I didn't even have to do anything. I was having dinner and I got an email that my flight home on KLM had been oversold or I was getting bumped off of that. And they were going to put me on Air France instead. So I was flying from... Uh, Germany. So instead of going through Amsterdam with like a six hour layover, they were putting me through Paris with a two hour layover. And it ended up I got home two hours before into DC than my original flight. But right after that email about the bump, first of all, I didn't have to get up early in the morning and go to the airport because my flight was leaving two hours later. And there was an email saying you're entitled to this through the, the EU rules. Yeah, here's how to claim your whatever it was, $600 or something. I was like, wait, you're paying me $600 to sleep two hours later and get home two hours earlier? <laughs> yes, I will take that any day. Brilliant. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. And I didn't even have to talk to anyone. I just got emails telling me that's the way I live. They're just like, here's a better flight schedule and a bunch of money. I was like, okay, I'll take it. See, Jeff, travel can be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure everyone has stories of luck and good things happening like that. And everyone has bad stories. But if you can roll with the punches and take when those bad things happen, and I'm sure everyone's going to be watching Saturday to see what I'm tweeting and see what's going on with my rental car. But if you if you can take that as it comes, then it's it's going to come back to you somehow and you'll get some some upgrades or some something good will happen out of that. You'll get an offer for a bump for a whole bunch of money when you didn't really want to go home anyway. And I, I'm still waiting for that whole bunch of money when I didn't want to go home. I'd love that to happen someday. <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess we played that game back when Southwest used to bump people back in the, the late 90s and earned all sorts of free flights from that when my wife and I were visiting each other in college and she never really wanted to go home and they just kept bumping her and giving her free flights. And we we're like, great, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, with McCool Travel, you, you said you do blogging, you do some speaking, but you also do a lot of work with destinations, uh, especially here in the U.S., some international. Talk about how you kind of got into that and what it's like to work with those destinations. How do, how do you form those partnerships? What do you do with them? 
Yeah. So as a you know travel expert or whatever, I would write about my own experiences. And then after a while, I started getting invites. You know, a destination or a brand would say, would you like to do a story on us? So it has evolved over seven years or so that, you know, I can pitch destinations or brands now and say, hey, look, I have the story angle. So how will that work? So, yeah, I, I went from the beginning to the end there. But, yeah, it works where a typically a destination. So let's just say I want to go to Orlando or Orlando wants me to go there and they'll host me for three nights, four nights, and they typically will pay for my lodging, my meals, my attractions that they want me to visit. And just depending on the situation, you know, I can make some extra money for producing the content and or have the travel covered. It's there's a whole very variance of things that can happen. But essentially what they're doing is giving me a media trip and introducing me to various things. And then I produce my own story. And the idea is that I have my own audience that's unique from who they can typically reach through their advertising and marketing efforts. So it's hopefully a win-win. And the people that I work with recognize that. So when you do that, you're typically producing content for your site because you have a large enough audience that they're interested in reaching those people? Or do you also produce content for them? as here's this person who came that they'll publish on their on their outlets. Yeah, the lines are very blurred. Um, you can have your traditional journalists who work for magazines, newspapers, etc. And they're on assignment to do that. And now bloggers can be, you know, any can do anything. So I only guarantee coverage on my website. And other people will have other ideas of what they want to do. So I have been pretty much published in any thing you've ever heard of in your life. So sometimes a destination will contact me and say, if you can guarantee us coverage in USA Today, we'll give you a whole first class trip. And I'm like, I can't do that. And, and, and you know, other bloggers may promise that and then face the repercussions later, or maybe they can promise that, but I can't. So what I do is, yes, I, I wouldn't say my audience is large enough. You know, I, I'm nothing compared to say Johnny Jett or Sam Brown or Rick Steves or something, someone like that. But I have honed my audience so that I think it's very viable and very attractive. So I think most of my audience is attractive to certain brands and destinations. And, and I don't measure click-through rates or how many people book things. It's just impossible to do that as with any advertising campaign. But there are situations that are great for me and others that are not. I did mention Orlando. Disney's not a good match for me or Universal Studios or something like that. But the Four Seasons Orlando probably is just looking at my audience. So me, the, the experience that I have, and, and I won't go on these dumb trips that don't resonate with my audience. So I think that's another factor too. You know, the content that I produce on my website and on social media, you know, fits a certain mantra, a certain brand voice. And so it, it makes sense for the other people to recognize what I do and me to keep doing it. And I think there are a couple of things there that really speak to how you do this and how well you can do this. And one was what you just said about not doing certain trips because it do, it doesn't go with your audience or it doesn't go with your brand. 
the ability to identify that I think is what so many travel bloggers struggle with. And so many people who are just trying to get out into the world and be influencers or be whatever it get get travel paid for for them are just taking anything or doing anything that they can and saying, yeah, it's all travel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And they don't understand that that's not what their people want to see, what their audience wants to see. And I think I think building up that audience and having them be able to expect that they're going to see from you great content about the hotels, about the beaches, about the restaurants, then they know that. And that if you were, like you said, to put up a, a Disney or Universal post, they'd be like, wait, this isn't what he does. Why am I seeing this? So if you got that for free, it would almost dilute your audience or the message that you're trying to send. The other thing I really like that it sounds like you're doing, which is hard for many people, is you're under-promising and then in a lot of cases over-delivering rather than doing that the other way around. And you're saying, look, this is what I can guarantee you. Let's make a deal on this. And if it gets picked up by, you mentioned USA Today, or if it gets picked up by Forbes Advisor, or if it gets picked up by one of these news outlets, then that's great and that's extra and you have the potential of getting that. But I'm certainly not going to make a deal on that because I don't know what's going to happen. And again, I think that's the experience of having done this for a while, that you know, honesty is, I mean, in life everywhere, honesty is the best policy. And you just want people to be happy with your service so that they'll recommend you to other destinations and other uh, PR companies that they work with in the travel industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been offered, you know, phenomenal trips that I knew that I couldn't deliver. So it's like I... Just say, look, I'd love to work with you. We can do this at another time. But no, I can't guarantee you a four-page spread in Travel and Leisure magazine. No, it's just not its not feasible. Um, but I'd love to visit Costa Rica and, you know, your ecotourism and things like that. Yeah, the brands that I work with, I don't want to, like, dive in too much into that. But there are typically bloggers and influencers that are like, me, me, me. It's all about me. And... And I publish some content, I move on to the next destination. So one of my added values, I think, is that I continually just talk about the destinations that I love. And again, it's a good alignment. You know, I work with hotels and resorts and destinations that I love and that will align my audience. So it's natural that four years later, I'm posting, you know, an experience or a magical sunset from my balcony or something like that where I can tell you that at least 50% of the other travel bloggers and journalists out there will not do that. You know, they write their story, they're done. It's just out of mind, but I continue to do it over and over again. So that is totally over delivering. And, you know, I don't think of it that way, but it's, it's just natural for me. And that's, that won't work for everybody, but that's just what my formula is. And I think it works in that I know that I have not been to the, the Gulf Coast down in the southern U.S., but I know when I go, your site is the first place I'm going to, and you're the first person I'm messaging because I've seen you put out content about that, and I know that you love it there, and I know that you have had some amazing experiences at restaurants and places to stay and tours that you've done. So I know like in, somewhere in the back of my head that's stored that when I do a trip down to the Gulf Coast, I need to contact Charles McCool or I need to go read the stuff on his site about that. And that's because it's not because you go there every three months. It's because you continue to mention that as a great place to go, just like you, you just talked about doing 
over the years after you have been there. And if you can take a trip back, great. And you can update some content. But it's, I think giving that extra value is huge for brands and destinations that that want to work with you that get kind of an extended thing. And again, it's not something that you promise up front. You don't say, I'll do three posts next year, four posts the year after that, two posts here. But it's that added content that they can see from your past performance and they know that they can rely on you to put out some amazing content for them for years to come. Indeed. Now, we've talked a lot about what you're doing in travel, but I think there's a, the what Derek and I refer to as the, the better halves of our relationship. And uh, knowing your wife, I think it's probably your better half as well. Much. But your, your wife is also a travel blogger. Let's do, just do a, a quick hit on what it is that she does and kind of how that differs from what you do, because it, she does it in a very different way, a, a much more localized way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a quick background. We met at work in Silicon Valley, California. She was a software executive and I was one of those rogue contract testers. I just came in for a couple of months. So we we, we ended up our, our dating history was mainly 16 months on the road and traveling to Europe and Australia and, and going around. So we both have the love of travel. Um, she went back to work. She was an executive. And while I was doing my travel stuff in the early days, I started various projects. And one of them was a local thing for Fairfax County, Virginia, so that my wife eventually retired in 2008. And she loves going on hikes and she loves, you know, exploring the local area. So she kind of took over that brand. So she is a very viable, she's a very prominent local blogger, if you will, and very successful. So, and that worked out well with the pandemic because my site's dead, frankly, no one's doing global travel, but everybody's exploring the local areas. So you wanna know Fairfax County breweries or hiking trails, you're gonna see my wife's website. So now we're, like you said, we're both travel bloggers, we're both travel journalists, um, and we do different things. So it's very attractive to brands too. So let's just say she has a very prominent mid-Atlantic spin on things and what people in Northern Virginia want to do. So if say Richmond, Virginia wants to host us, we can both produce content about that. She can kind of do that from a, this is a local trip from Fairfax, whereas you can do it as a this is a trip from anywhere to a great place to travel to for everyone. Exactly. I can just cover the fun aspects of Virginia or I can swing it and try to attract German turn I'm sorry, German tourists. You know, let's say, you know, Richmond wants to do a campaign where they want to attract more Europeans. You know, I can do that kind of angle. So, yeah. But then like, you know, if I'm working with um, wine country in um, California, she can come along, she could do social media, but that kind of content maybe doesn't fit on her website. And it's a good reminder in the travel space, diversification is, is key, right? As you mentioned, when, when nothing's happening in your world of international travel, people still like to do the weekend trips locally. They still like to get out and about on, on Saturdays and Sundays. So that seems like it served you and your wife well during COVID. And I'm sure uh, for any travel blogger, it's good to remember uh, you need to spend some time on the local as well as the bigger international stuff. 
Yeah, if that fits your brand, um, most of the travel bloggers that I know who were in my situation writing about general or national travel, they all, not all, but you know, a huge percentage of people started hyper-local blogs because that was a formula that was successful. Others started um, recipe blogs or cooking blogs or kayaking. So there were different things that people have done over the pandemic. But me, I was kind of fortunate. I just, I haven't produced as much content as I normally would, but uh, my wife has been working very hard and paying the bills, if you will, buying the beer for me. And I would think that that's a good balance also, not just as far as who you can work with, but as far as when you're traveling. So if you're somewhere international, like you mentioned, or even domestic with the, the wine country in California, she can help with some of the social media and you guys can do a lot of things together and she can take a lot of pictures of you for your site or for your social. And then when you're doing something local, it's the other way around and she's really creating the content and you can do a lot of the, the helper um, aspect of that and helping with the social media and taking the pictures and things. So I think it's a, a good balance for when you travel. I think if you were both doing the same kind of thing, it might get kind of overwhelming in that if you go to, like you said, California and you were both writing about these destination travel things, then you would almost be competing for the same content and uh, just it would be very hard to enjoy the trip because you're just trying to produce and produce and produce and produce content. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And um, we do have different, even if we're doing this, an article in the same destination, we will have different viewpoints and story angles. Um, but I just wanted to reflect on when I kind of started getting invited on trips. I think the first five or six that I went on, I was the only guy, you know, surrounded by like, you know, up to 10 women. And I, of course, loved it, but I, was thinking like, why am I on these trips with mommy bloggers and fashion bloggers and things like that? And, you know, it gave me a reason to think like, why, why, you know, I don't fit this paradigm. But then after a while, I thought like, well, I'm unique. I have a unique voice. And so I think there may be people out there that that could benefit to think like, yeah, you, you know, stick with your audience, stick with what you do. Um, if as your audience grows or if you have a passionate audience, don't try and give them something you're not. I'm not going to write a fashion article or, you know, things like that. But what I wrote about, you know, brands and destinations recognized as something that they were interested in having me do. And I think brands are starting to get a better idea of that and destinations are starting to get a better idea of that, that yes, people love to see the posts from the the mommy bloggers who are going to bring their kids there and oh you should bring your kids and this is great for families and this and that and the other thing but we i've done some writing in the past for uh traveling dad and they have been approached several times by places that say like we need to get the dads here as well we need it's nice to have the moms we have the moms we're confident that we have the moms but the dads are also helping in planning that travel. And if they don't want to come here, then the family's probably not going to come here. So people are starting to figure out that multiple types of views are good and multiple different audiences are good. And if you can convince a whole lot of different people that your destination is great, then that's better than super highly convincing a small group of people that it is. So Charles, that's in a nutshell, McCool travel. Let's, transition now to your personal travel style, whether with your wife or not. 
do you normally do most of your trips solo? Do you go as a couple or do you travel with family or a larger group of friends and family? How do, how do you normally travel? If you're interested in hearing about Charles's travel style, how this past year has affected his personal travel and his business, some of his favorite places to travel both domestically and internationally, and of course, his favorite places in the world to grab a cold beer, be sure to tune in to next week's episode for the conclusion of our interview. For now, let's take a few minutes to get you some updates in the travel rewards space on credit cards, airlines, hotels, and general travel. So now it's time for the new segment that we're going to start putting in on every podcast episode, and that is the Miles and Points with Pints update. We were doing these as separate episodes before, but we got such a positive response from it that we wanted to be able to keep people a little bit better up to date because we were, if we were waiting three or four weeks to update people, there were a lot of things that it felt like we were missing. Don't you think, Derek? I mean... A lot of stuff can happen in 30 days, right? Especially in our crazy world of points and miles. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to try and do these quick updates at the end of each episode rather than saving it all for one episode a month. And we'll see how that works going forward. So let's jump right into it. Let's get into our credit cards, usually the first thing we talk about. And there have been a lot of updates even in the past week since we had that last episode. Why don't you start us out with what's going on with Chase? Yeah, I feel like I heard that maybe there's new offers available on the Sapphire Preferred and the Sapphire Reserve. Have you have you heard or seen that anywhere? I saw it, I think, in one or two places every five seconds on every form of social media <laughs> that I follow. Right? It's like it's I mean, let's be honest, it's it's the one of the biggest stories of the year thus far, and it just happened to occur in the last seven days. But uh to get to the good stuff, the Chase Sapphire Preferred has an increased Welcome offer of 80,000 ultimate rewards and a $50 statement credit uh, at grocery stores. That is the highest ever sign-up bonus offered on the CSP. So obviously, if you don't have it and you're eligible, you should get it. Uh, to be eligible, you need to be under 524, and you can't have received a sign-up bonus for a Sapphire Preferred or a Sapphire Reserve in the last 48 months. And lastly, you cannot currently hold a Sapphire Preferred or Sapphire Reserve. If you have one of those, you could downgrade and apply in a few weeks and be eligible for a new bonus if you meet the other criteria. Uh, but if you're eligible, like I said, it's a no-brainer. Jeff, what are your thoughts on the uh, CSP offer? I think it's a great offer. And we had talked about this as uh, a rumor that we were pretty sure was going to happen. I'm excited that it did happen. And if we hadn't just got Chrissy one of these cards when it was uh, an 80,000 point bonus last fall, then we would absolutely be getting her one now. I am not anywhere close to eligible under the 524 rule. So I'm not picking one up for myself. But it may be something that I look at for my parents or my sister or some other people that I recommend cards to because it's a it's a big offer with that $50 grocery bonus. I mean, it's only a $95 annual fee, so they're basically giving you half of that back in grocery just off the top and that's without the 80,000 points. So it's it's a great offer especially for year 1 on that card. Exactly. I mean, when you when you boil it down to its purest form, 
80,000 points and only a 45 net annual fee. That's as good as it gets, folks. Go out and get it if you're eligible. Also, and not to be left behind, as we alluded to the rumor on last week's show, the Chase Sapphire Reserve now has an elevated offer of 60,000 ultimate rewards. Same qualifications as the CSP. If you're eligible for the CSP, you would be eligible for the CSR, so you can choose which one you want. It has a higher annual fee of $550 per year. It comes with a $300 travel credit higher earnings on the cards, and a bunch of other credits. Uh, As we mentioned last week, Jeff, this is the first time the CSR has offered a sign-up bonus higher than 50,000 points since 2017. So almost four years ago, they they got rid of the 100,000-point offer, reduced it in half to 50,000 in summer of 2017. We haven't seen anything higher than 50,000 on the CSR since that time. So it's an increased offer, not... In my opinion, not as good as the Chase Sapphire Preferred offer that's out right now. But if you're looking to pick up to the the reserve because you want that 1.5 cent redemption, or if it's a card that you've looked at and looked at the benefits and realized that annual fee is worth it for you, then now is the time to get it because the bonus is higher than it has been. So again, something to be excited about. We hope to see them adding some benefits to these cards and really pushing them as the year goes on. A couple of updates on things we talked about with Chase on the last episode. The Hyatt bonus points, we haven't seen them yet. And those were for your uh, 50 swipes in February. You were supposed to get 5,000 bonus points for that. And people haven't seen them post. Still haven't seen them post. I don't know. We'll get them eventually, I guess. I won't get them because I didn't do it. But you'll get them. Sarah will get them. And a whole lot of other people will get them. And we also saw uh, a few new bonuses come out on the co-branded cards for quarter two for this year. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So if you're not familiar, Chase has a dedicated website. You can just Google uh, Chase and my bonus. Uh, the uh, URL is chase.com slash my bonus. And you can enter your last name, the last four digits of your card, and your zip code, and it will tell you if you are targeted, and these are targeted offers, for any spending offers. Beginning around the 22nd or 23rd, people began, of March, people began seeing targeted offers on their co-branded credit cards from Chase for spending bonuses in Q2. Uh, Most of those are 5X, up to $1,500, specific spending, usually gas stations and grocery stores, which are easy for those of us well-versed in the points of miles world. You can go get gift cards at your favorite grocery store or gas station. I've seen uh, data points of those on the Hyatt card, the United card, some of the Southwest cards, and the IHG card. So most of the co-branded cards are available. Again, it's targeted offers. You may not get those. Sarah and I have not seen any of those targeted offers yet. Fingers crossed. We get it on our Hyatt card. We did not have a targeted Hyatt offer in Q1, so it would be nice to get that 7,500 Hyatt bonus in Q2, which would be one and a half nights at a Category 1, Jeff, which is awesome. Which would be lovely if the bonus points post. If if they post. Hopefully they they will. (laughs) 
in our last episode, we talked about, it was, I guess the subtitle of the last one was IT issues everywhere. And the first part of it was the Hyatt bonus points, not posting. We also talked on, for American Express, we talked about the problems that they had in the first week, week and a half of February with the PayPal credits and some of the dining credits not posting. But that we, I guess they listened to us. They fixed something. We've seen that turn around a little bit and people are starting to see those posts. So that's a nice update on the American Express IT side of things. The referral offers that we talked about last time, those elevated offers on so many of their cards, uh, the, the gold card I was most excited about on the business gold card and a few others, those are still live. The Delta elevated signup offers are still live. So if you want to pick up one of those cards, you have not waited too long. When we sat down to have drinks yesterday, you asked if I had gone through my checklist that I had Uh at the end of the last episode. And I said, nope, I have not done any of it. So if you are a procrastinator like me and you haven't gotten one of those cards yet and you haven't had someone refer you for them, they are still available. Just get it done because you never know when those will go away. Do your homework, Jeff. You had a you had a homework list. I know, and I failed at it. I didn't do it yet. <laughs> but in my defense, if we kept doing this once monthly, I probably would have done it by the next time we did it. Ah, but here we are just I one see. week later already uh-huh. doing updates again and haven't quite got to it. Another thing that we talked about was some IT issues with Brex and people having to wait forever on approvals. We've seen no update with that. But I think the bigger story is you had a an adventure, I guess I would say, this week with Brex and Chase. So why don't you run through that real quick and tell people what happened to you? Yeah, I guess it's an adventure if you love misery, right? So I woke up Monday morning to go to court early for my day job. I was uh, in the car driving, had about a two-hour drive Uh, I stopped for gas. When I stopped for gas, I saw an email from Chase saying a transfer was canceled. That came in at 7.32 a.m. on a Monday morning. I had finished spending on my second Brex card, the $3,000 spend for 110,000 Brex points, which I cashed out for an $1,100 cash bonus. And I was transferring that money from Brex to Chase. Uh, to get it out of Brex as I didn't plan to use Brex for long-term business banking needs. That transfer was apparently canceled. Um, the Chase email said that I should log in to my secured messages in my Chase account uh, to understand why and uh, to get more info. I immediately tried to log in on the Chase app to read the secured message because I thought this was very strange. How'd that go? Yeah, not 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 good. Uh, I was locked out due to quote unquote suspected fraud. No big deal. I thought nothing of it. But it said I could call a number, so I immediately called. By now it's about eight fifteen and I'm half hour away from court. I uh I heard the message that they did not have anyone to help me with my quote unquote closed account until nine AM. I still didn't think anything of it. And I went to court as scheduled, 8.45, finished at 9.05, got to my car and immediately called Chase. Again, encountered the press one option for assistance with your closed accounts. So you, in that, in that drive to court, you managed to go from a canceled transaction to check your messages for more information 
to can't log in to here's a phone number to your account is closed. That's that's what the phone option was. Yes, I I really had no more information, but to press one, it said for help with your closed account. Um, that's all I know. So that's a, a fun way to wake up on a Monday morning. Yeah, my heart was pounding by now. It's, you know, 9.05, I was, I was expecting to drive two hours back home, put in a full day of work, and, uh, you know, uh, be on my merry way on a, a lazy Monday. But I called Chase, and it, as you could say, uh, the rest of the story was it got worse and worse from there. So on the phone with Chase, they asked me to verify the that I was the sole owner and had the legal right to the Brex account. And they asked to put Radius Bank on the line. Um, I knew that Radius Bank was the sponsoring bank or whatever you call it for Brex, as Brex Brex has only recently applied for their banking charter. And a uh, Radius Bank representative got on within probably 30 or 45 seconds. Luckily, it wasn't much of a wait. They couldn't locate me as a customer with my personal Social Security number, my name, my address, my date of birth. They couldn't locate me with the business. I have two businesses and two Brex accounts. The business I used for this particular account, they couldn't find me with that business name or the federal EIN number that I opened it up with. And he said, you are not a Radius Bank customer. Uh, This is with the Chase representative on the line. I said, I know I'm not a Radius Bank customer. I'm a Brex customer. Jeff, it went downhill from there. Um, I was then told on the phone with the Chase representative there that Radius Bank has no relationship with Brex. He's never heard of Brex. He has no idea what I'm talking about. And again, I'm not a customer of Radius Bank. He then gets off the line as quickly as possible. And the Chase representative informs me, and this is where I got really scared. Mr. Dye, your account is now suspended. And for further information, I suggest you go to a local branch and speak with someone and they can help you further. Uh, at this point in time, my, my heart is literally pounding. I've, I've spent probably 20-something minutes on the phone, 30-something minutes on the phone by now, sitting uh, in the court parking lot. And luckily, there was a, a Chase branch 20 minutes away. My wife, Sarah, got me directions and texted them to me. I show up to the branch after a 20-or-so-minute so drive asked to speak to the branch manager, and uh, he asked for my ID. He specifically asked for a Chase credit card with my name on it. I gave him those, he photocopied them, and he then asked for me to wait in the lobby and he would sort this out. 53 minutes later, sitting in the lobby, he steps out and he waves me back into his office. There's a Chase representative. That's a long time. Uh, I a was, long, long I was time. sweating <laughs> bullets. And the whole time I still have no access on the app. So 53 minutes later, after I left his office, he, he steps to the office and says, Mr. Dye, and waves me over, and I go in. He is still on the phone with a Chase representative, and they inform me at that time that my accounts are quote-unquote reinstated, and I am... Not, I mean, they both told me, you should not transfer this money. Do not attempt it again. Do not link these accounts. Do not send money from Brex to your Chase account. Don't try and write a check for the amount. Do not send money from this bank to Chase. Any questions, 
have a nice day, and I was escorted out. I still have no idea what happened. There's apparently, um, Miles to Memories, I blogged about this on Travel on Points. Mark Osterman over at Miles to Memories shared it in his Around the Web on Tuesday. One of their readers indicated there's a doctor of credit uh, ongoing thread about this issue with ACH transfers from business accounts, and it can become a problem with Chase. And I probably, at the end of the day, looking back on it 48 hours later, I think it was probably a lockout issue for a suspected fraud versus a shutdown. However, Jeff, the things that really scared me was when Radius Bank could not verify me as a Brex customer, and I was told it elevated from, you know, whatever my account was then to my account is now quote-unquote suspended, and then this hour-long wait in the bank, which I still don't know what they were doing behind closed doors, uh, I was not privy to those conversations. But even worse, with a with the person the branch manager's been working with for the last 53 minutes, they say my accounts are quote-unquote reinstated, whatever that means. So I still have access to my accounts. This is the summation and, and the good news, I guess. I now have full access to my accounts. Um, nothing has happened in the last couple of days since I regained access. But... Uh, my heart still is pounding thinking about it and how close I was to losing my Chase accounts. And again, I have no idea what happened. All I can tell you is uh, do not try and send cash from Brex to Chase. Don't write a check for it, nothing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let those bank accounts know about one another. Send them anywhere else. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to spend my Monday morning dealing with that, so I will avoid that very much. And it's a a good example of having bank accounts for different purposes, and you had mentioned to me that you were sending some money over for your account for your house that you're building, and that almost got locked up, and that could have caused major problems for that. So bank accounts are easy to get. it's always a good idea to have a couple of accounts if you need to do something that, I mean, I guess we didn't know this was questionable, but if you need to do something that may cause a problem or may take a little well to sort out, then do that with an account that you don't need access to just in case things do get locked up by that. But just a, a bit of warning about Brex, about Chase, learn from Derek's un, unknowing, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a mistake, because it seems like you did everything right. Right, yeah. But learn learn from his experience and uh, definitely do not link those two banks. And uh, be careful because Radius Bank apparently doesn't know that uh, Brex or Brex customers exist or haven't trained their reps to know that, which is a bit troubling. So that's all we've got on the, the credit card and bank side of things. Not a whole lot going on as far as airlines this week. Uh, I Just a reminder for those that fly Southwest, they've had some promos coming out. We have seen, I think they had a, a 20% off sale this week. And if you're booking award tickets with them or a lot of their tickets, a lot of those are changeable now. So if there's a lower, lower price, look at rebooking. See if you have the ability to cancel for free or change your flight to the lower cost and get some uh, points or some money back. We've seen some crazy low award rates from Delta. We saw some out of Seattle down to Central America for some really low rates. So like we mentioned on the previous show, 
travel is continuing to continuing on the upswing travel is continuing to come back and there are still at this point some great deals in airfare and some great deals on hotels so take a look at where you might want to go and take a look at booking at this point yeah agreed and i think that's about all we have for our updates for this week like we said it's just going to be a short segment at the end of the show here so hopefully you will enjoy that but definitely let us know what you think of it And we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Charles as we did talking to him. It's crazy to think he wrote a book about making travel easier 20 years ago, and it is still helping people to travel better and happier today. If you ever have the chance to meet Charles in person, I'm sure you'll agree that he certainly knows his stuff when it comes to travel, and he's always happy to share a meal and a pint and talk to whomever he meets. Let us know what you think about that new weekly segment with your updates in the travel rewards space, and be sure to check back next week to hear the conclusion of our interview with Charles McCool. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too. And please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun.
sound.